Hello and welcome to Audiobooks All Day. We're back. Second week in a row. Woo! Consistency. We're back. We're back. I'm Jeff. This is Kevin. We're excited to talk some Hi. books today. And uh, yeah, so Kevin, what were you saying right before this? So I, I, was, I, w- I was just starting to tell Jeff a story. So um, I don't know what age it was. But at a certain age that I hit, I just really stopped caring about kind of how other people perceive me, especially just the general masses when I'm walking around. So, um, and because of that, occasionally I have found that I, I lack a little bit of awareness of what I'm doing. And so this morning, um, I was at the gym, and I hear a, Kevin? And uh, one of my old friends from high school, Stacy Maurer, you know him. I do. Um, he's like, Kevin, hey, and he comes over, and he has that big smile, and he starts talking to me. And he's like, hey, that's really cool. And he points down to the thing that I'm holding, and I look down, and I'm like, yeah, I found my Game Boy. I found my uh, Game Boy um, Advanced SP, and I was playing it at the gym because I was on the bike, and I was like, whatever, you know? Let's go. And I was just having it. He's like, no, what's on it? And I, I've been playing this thing for like a whole day. I found it just like two days ago, and I totally forgot that SpongeBob was on the front. And so I'm just Amazing. sitting there at the gym and I just got SpongeBob just waving at people. And, I, and I'm not down, like sitting down. I'm on one of those like weirdly tall bikes where I'm like way too high above people. And so I was just uh, sitting there playing that. And I was like, oh man, um, that doesn't look professional. And then I just kept playing. So <laughs> I thought that was fun. Um, but I'm, I'm playing yellow version. Because, you know, while Pikachu was never my favorite Pokemon, it's so hard to, for me to pick between Squirtle and Charmander. Don't get me wrong. I love Bul- Bulbasaur. But, like, really, when you get to Blastoise or Charizard, I mean, like, that's the best. And I, I just really wanted to capture that, have them both on my team, you know, storming the Elite Four... You know, I, I don't, I don't remember who was your pick when you would start. Who was your starter? Oh, I always chose Squirtle. I wasn't yeah. much of a gamer, but I always chose Squirtle. I maybe yeah, one that? time I chose Bulbasaur, but yeah, that's it. I mean, here's the dope thing about Bulbasaur: you choose Bulbasaur in the first two gyms, like you're done with that thing in like an hour and a half. You know, like you're you're done, you're already on your way to the third gym. You got two badges in hand, and you just breezed right through. That is true, that is true. But then you don't uh, have Blastoise, which is but then always then, the best. Yeah, then you don't then you don't have Blastoise, and Blastoise is just just awesome. Such a cool looking Pokemon. I mean, he literally has cannons on the back on his back. Like that's just awesome. 
No, couldn't agree more. Well, I'm glad that you uh, have something to do when you're on the bike. I just watch the random news things and all the ads that are on TV whenever <laughs> I'm on like the treadmill. And, you know, it's not, it's not the best, especially so, you know, sometimes I've been there where I can't, you know, I, I have to look up at the TVs and I'm trying to follow and I, I want to look at the sports one, except they always have like the titles and like give all the stats and stuff at the bottom. Or if they're like replaying a game, it's all at the bottom. And then you have subtitles over that. So you can't even see... So you can't actually read it. I know. It's so true. And then the subtitles, half of them are super bad, and it's way behind, and it's like... It's the worst when you're watching the news, and like it's like breaking news, and then it has the thing on the bottom, and then you can't read it anyway, because it's still (laughs) catching up from whatever they were just saying. Like, I want the breaking news! (laughs) I know, seriously. You know, it was funny the other day. I, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't watch, you know, any local news. Um, and, um, it has been a hot topic between me and my wife since we've been, since we've been married and my wife was always, you know, she's always said, you know, if I'm pregnant, I'm driving in the carpool lane because I got, we got two of us. And if I get pulled over, I'll just ask the cop, I'll just tell the cop and he won't know what to do. And they actually just, uh they proposed a law apparently and just like a week ago i was just writing and i just happened to look up at the news one and it said uh pregnant pregnancy commuter lane bill declined and i i took a picture of that and sent it to kate i i've literally watched about 30 seconds of local news and it just happened to be about something that i cared about so maybe i should watch See, it but now news. the so before the police would have been like oh whatever but now that the bill got declined now they're like, well, didn't you see in the local news? This is no <laughs> longer <know>. acceptable. <laughs> I did, were you watching Fox 13 last night at 9? It's like, no. A breaking story after our other breaking <laughs> stories, which you still right. don't know because I, there was bad subtitles. <laughs> right. You know, and <clears throat> don't get me wrong. I love subtitles. Um, again, I, I hit that age where you want subtitles, where I want... You know, I, I really like having subtitles when I watch a show. I had a friend um, was over watching a movie. This was a couple years ago. And she was like, you know, growing up, she always watched subtitles with everything. So we're like, sure, we'll try subtitles for this movie. And then we just never took it off. And it's been eight years now. And we just, I just, I just love subtitles. But subtitles on live TV just don't work. They don't. They don't. And especially when you're listening to audiobooks, they don't exist. And so that's a perfect segue. What have <laughs> segue. you been listening to? Um, so <clears throat> I mentioned last time we were talking that I had just gotten uh, Flex in the City, which was the 13th book of the Good Guys series. And I read that, and it was, it was good. And I, I actually feel bad that I read it. Because then the newest one doesn't come out till June, so now I have to wait till June for another book. I'll, I'll, okay. In some ways, it's really fun to read a series that's still coming out with books because it's exciting. And sometimes it's just terrible because now you're like, "What do I do?" 
for four months, you know? It's not like I don't have enough on my plate. I'm just going to sit here, twiddle my thumbs, and wait for it. And I still have no idea when the next Defiance of the Fall is coming out because they don't announce it till it's, like, out. And, but uh, that, that's actually not the book I wanted to discuss. You know, I was talking about the good guys last time, but there's a, I think I mentioned there's a, a sister series um, that's done congruently in the same world called The Bad Guys, um, where the, the main character was a thief on Earth, um, just, you know, stealing from rich people because, you know, had a bad hand in life and that's what he felt like the only thing he could turn to, um, find himself in this new world and he wants to be a thief again and finds himself again, you know, kind of like in the good guys finding himself needing to take care of people, needing to help people in this super brutal and violent world. And, uh, I'm, uh, I'm just reading, um, the six of the six and I'm just, I just finished the six, which is called high gloom. Um, which again, another pun high gloom for high noon, and uh it's it's really good so they they find themselves in this this city this underground city um where they're trying to essentially so the main character bottom line is uh through a bunch of crazy stuff he finds that he has somebody else inside of him and it's trying to take over like some uh, an enemy he defeated you know, part of his soul, he essentially became a Horcrux and now it's trying to take him over. And so he's going to this, this city where, uh, he could hopefully find somebody that can help him. But the, the cool part about the city is that it's kind of on like this frontier. Um, something I've started to see in a lot of fantasy books is kind of exploring, uh, different realms and how they cross over into the earthly realm. And not just different planets and not different multiverses, but uh, different realms within your multiverse. So, for example, you know, it's kind of the concept of the upside down. Like, it's kind of an Earth that's not quite overlaid um, with your own, but it is like a world of darkness. So, you essentially, there's this city on the brink between the normal world and the world of, um, they call it the gloom. Um this world of darkness. So it's, it's, uh, it's pretty cool. You know, you see a lot of cool monsters and what I, what I like about it though, is there's this, you really kind of start to, to get a feel for the main character because he's, you know, he has that evil, you know, person inside of him that's trying to take him over. And it's just that you just feel this, this anxiety, you know, if he's, he's got to go faster, he's got to work it. And I actually found myself earlier today, I just felt super anxious. And I was like, why do I feel so anxious? And I was reading this book and there's just so much anxiety. And, and I just, it's just funny how sometimes the emotion of the books you're reading just starts creeping into how you're feeling and how it just kind of takes over. Oh, I totally did that one time. I was listening to a book that I may review later, but it was uh, kind of about true events and about a pretty messed up human being. And normally I don't listen to books like that, but it was read by somebody who I really liked and it was for free. And I was listening to it while I was driving. We were on a big, long driving trip and it was really dark. And like suddenly I just felt myself getting really nervous. Like all the kids were asleep. Megan was asleep. And I was just getting like 
way uber nervous and I realized I was nervous because I was driving through a town that looked just like the town that was described in the book and that it was crazy like just kind of subliminally like I started to get amped up based on that it was kind of it was pretty crazy <laughs> that 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 so that reminds me I was reading a book um by Andrew Klein called Werewolf Cop and I'm this was um back when when I was at Tanner and I was uh working I was working really late and the lights turned off at like it was like 1 a.m and there was nobody else there and you know it was just at the office and I finished up working and I was just kind of listening to this book in the background and at one point I kind of looked up after the lights had turned off I'm in this little conference room like it's really dark out there and this book's a little bit creepy and there's most likely a werewolf out there. It's just, it's just amazing how your mind yeah. just jumps to these conclusions. So as I'm, so I find, I kind of start where I'm working and I want to keep working, but I'm like, you know what? Um, you know, it's busy season. So everybody's working super late and, um, but nope, I can't see anybody else. I think I'm the last one there. I was working with the team. They all left and I'm like, I get to a point where I'm like, I'm just freaked out. I'm like, I just got to go. I'm, I'm freaked out. I got the willy. So I, I pack up and I start walking out. And uh, it's kind of creepy because everything is black except there's a few computer screens um, that are just like blued out or just, just the desktop. But it's a little bit of light. And I'm walking, I'm walking, and I see the, the exit. And I'm, I'm like, I'm not jogging. But I am at that phase where you're not you're about to cross over the line from speed walking to a light jog. And I'm getting there and I just hear Have a good night. And I pee my pants. <laughs> I just I just my heart stops and I am legally dead for like two minutes as I turn around and there's a guy who had been there the whole time and he had a cot right next to his computer and he was sleeping. He was trying to sleep and he was just laying there, but it was under his computer. So I couldn't see him and his head was just sticking out underneath. It scared me so freaking bad. <laughs> Needless to say, I turned off the book and I just ran to my car. Yeah. Now there have definitely been a couple times where, you just got to switch it to something that is a little bit lighter, like a Harry Potter <laughs> and, uh, and go for it. Well, is there anything else you, you want to say about, about this book and the series? You know, I, I just one thing. I just really like it. You know, a lit RPG, it's, it's a really cool world. And that, that's actually the thing that is best about this series is it's got a cool world. It's a world that is really interesting. You know, it has similar elements to a lot of lit RPGs, but it's it's unique in uh, it, it's unique in kind of how it brings it all together. And you know, the the books are short. You know, the it's it takes a couple books to really get into some serious character development. But you know, the world is just fun. Like there's these cool cities, and there's cool things happening, and there's weird things, and you know, the 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 way they do magic is really cool, and skills and and the class system, it just, it's just a good world. So if you're looking, if you're out there and you're, you know, like me and always looking for another great fantasy, specifically the RPG, 
Um, the bad guys is probably even better than the good guys because it, it, it starts character development a lot sooner. And it's just it's just got a great world. But but what about you? What are you reading? Well, real quick, do you have to read the good guys before you read the bad guys? Mm-mm. So they're building up to some kind of crossover. Um, so they're they're in a very similar, you know, they're in a similar kingdom, you know, or country, whatever. And you can see that the overarching story arc is probably the same and will end kind of at the same point. At least that's, that's what it's kind of leading up to. And, uh, you can kind of tell that they're, they're building up to actually meet and actually in flex in the city, he starts to meet some of the characters in the bad guys. Um, but I haven't yet gotten to a crossover. I think that that's in the next couple books. So you don't need to have read them. And I doubt that um, you're even going to need to have read it at all. Um, and they, they throw out a little hints there. But they're not things that... Let me think. No, they're not things that you'd really need to read the other ones. You could just start straight with the bad guys. And I'd recommend that. But yeah, what about you? What are you reading? So, a few years ago, um, probably maybe six or seven years ago, I was aware that nobody had yet been to the bottom of each one of the five oceans. Like, it was just like a world record that just like hadn't been done. And when I was researching about it, I saw that Richard Branson had a sub company that he was looking to fund that would actually help him to be the very first one to go down. Well, what wound up happening was that his uh, space company, <clears throat> excuse me, kept getting more and more expensive, taking more and more of his time, and he put it on ice. So I kind of thought, wow, maybe, you know, one day it'll be interesting to see who sets this record. Who knows if it'll be even around to where, you know, maybe even I could set the record one day. Like, it just it would seem like such a cool thing because there's very, very few, like, true exploration things to still do on earth. Really the last frontier on earth is the ocean. And, uh, but then I heard that there was this guy named Victor Vescovo who I'd never heard of. He's a private equity executive who founded his company in Texas, a uh, former Naval officer, and also a guy who had climbed, who had done the Explorers Grand Slam, AKA he climbed the seven summits, the highest peak on each of the seven continents and he had been to the north and south pole uh, on skis and uh, <clears throat> and he funded this whole expedition himself and he got a deal with the discovery channel to help film it and then eventually come out with a mini series about his his experience and his adventure and i remember thinking oh man i cannot wait for this series to come out and so literally for years i waited and uh, so they accomplished the deep the five D expedition, but because of like all of the rights, they didn't you know want to publish it until later on. And uh, so anyway, it finally came out, and I watched the whole series. It was awesome. I loved it. Um, but then I uh, found out that there's a guy named Josh Young who wrote a book about the expedition. And honestly, when I got the book, I was really excited about it. But I put off listening to it because I figured it would just be a summary of the series. And I was so wrong. Actually, my favorite part of this book is it goes into the whole business aspect of how Victor Vescovo got this project done. 
So it pretty much spends the whole first third of the book. And that may not sound very interesting to anybody, but like, let me kind of paint a, a picture for you, right? Like, um, only two other people had been down to the very bottom of the ocean in the Mariana Trench. Um, and one of them, and both of them are still alive. I believe the guy's name is maybe Don Young. Oh, I should have looked it up before this, but, um, and, uh, and then James Cameron, the guy who did, uh, you know, the famous director, he, he had been down and, uh, there just wasn't a lot of people that had made submarines. Well, there's a company called Trident and they actually made this unique sub from scratch because they wanted to have it so that uh, two people could sit in it, they could sit in it comfortably, but its main function wasn't just to get down, but then it was to explore the bottom. I thought that was super interesting and really compelling. And so it kind of goes throughout this engagement, you know, these initial contracts that they get with Trident, them building uh, the submarine, all of the delays, they have to buy a ship um, in order to like, you know, put the, th you know, the, the sub in the water. And then it talks about like all the business drama. And then it talks about actually executing the expedition. So you kind of have all these factors and it's all on Victor Vescovo's dime. And honestly, like taking back the veil, cause like you, you see on the discovery channel, them discovering new species, you see them, you know, doing all these amazing things, going to places where nobody's ever been. But what you really don't get from that at all is a lot of the tensions around how difficult these relationships were. Um, you know, things that it doesn't even have is all the other expeditions. So they dove down to the Titanic kind of in this time when they were together. They did, uh, you know, some other cool dives to some other places and you don't really get any of that. So it's this really amazing book that details this adventure. So obviously like you've probably gotten it by now, but Victor Vescovo was the first person to do that. And even cooler, he just paid, I think it was Jeff Bezos' company, Blue Origin, to be the first person in space. Even though I think technically it's not space, I don't know if they actually get above mile 62 in there or if they just get like in the last little, I don't know if they actually hit orbit, but either way, he's the first person to summit Everest, to be at the bottom of the ocean and to, you know, have touched, touched the heavens. So pretty cool. And like he spent... I don't know, maybe $50 million on this whole expedition. Wow. And it's just super cool. But the thing that's even more interesting because it talks about them wanting to sell the company and to try and position it to like, and an almost like how they would want to sell it. And all that was really interesting too, because, you know, Victor Vescovo didn't want this, you know, now, now that he had accomplished this, he now had this liability that was just sitting there, you know, costing him money. So very unexpected that it was so business oriented, but it was so awesome because I think it sets the context for how amazing the actual expedition was. That's, that's really interesting. So like, what, what is the, the thought, like how, what is the main idea of like how they're going to monetize that exploration? Well, they don't really monetize the exploration. I mean, they try and do things, they try and get, you know, um, you know, some money from the show, they try and get some, you know, grant money, they, you know, they try and do some things. But really, at the end of the day, Victor Vescovo, he's just hoping that at the end of it, they can sell, you know, the submarine and kind of get it off his hands. So, you know, he's oh, going to kind of go okay. through all of the R&D. But really, it's the company, Trident, the company who's going to kind of wind up selling it. And I don't really know the exact arrangement oh, if he was like sub. going to be getting his money back on the sale, like per se, but I do think that he would get some of it back. And so 
I think that that's, you know, like one of the really interesting things and why they were doing this is they went down to the bottom of the Java Trench, I believe. And one of their purposes was to see if, so like they, they had this really intense mapping software and they wanted to go down and actually check out the fault lines and to see, oh, like where's the next big earthquake and how bad could it be? And, uh, you know, just some really interesting like ideas that they had and he had a whole science team and it gets into that. Um, but overall, like, you know, most, most of the time, um, exploration has been funded by governments, you know, and this is really the first, and, you know, and for that matter, big organizations, like big entities, right? Like the ones that are attacking space, like SpaceX and stuff. Very rarely do you see an individual fund this type of expedition. I mean, James Cameron did fund his, I think it's, uh, CEO of JP Morgan, um, He's one of the ones that's, that is in there. I know that Richard Branson's been interested. Like, but you just see very, very rarely the burden of one person who's just, who's not even a billionaire um, take the burden of of funding an expedition like this. You know, he really believed in it. And I'll tell you what, he's a good businessman. But that would have been intense. In fact, he didn't even tell his business partner until he started doing the dives that he was doing any of this. Um, <laughs> but he's yeah, he's a really cool guy. He graduated from. Stanford with his undergrad MBA from Harvard and uh, master's from MIT and <clears throat> you know was a you know what yeah and I think he was you know a lieutenant commander I believe in the Navy um, just a really really cool dude and pilot and everything you know fly fixed wing and and helicopters and Anyway, really interesting, but I would I would really recommend it, especially if you like the series. If you like the series, you will definitely like the book because it goes so much deeper into how this all happened. And it doesn't change my opinion of some of the other people on there, but it helps give context to who they are, and it's, it's really fun. I would definitely say watch it first and then read the book because I think, you know, it's kind of hard to imagine what's going on. But with like the context of the video, I want to watch it again. It's just a matter of time. So anyway, that, that was really great. Really, really great. What is, what was the series called? Uh, not series, just one book. It's called the five deep or sorry, the, uh, here, you know what? I'll show you it right here. I actually have it up. So I think I said at the beginning, sorry, this expedition you... deep ocean. No, oh, I'm sorry. Series you... like the, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. TV series. I think it's called the Five Deeps Expedition, and uh, you can just you can find it on the Discovery Channel or Discovery Plus. I just did a free trial, I banked through it and cancel it. <laughs> Classic. Man, I, I love it. That's the best reason to have multiple emails. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously, but yeah, it, it's really good. I, I thought I thought it was it lived up to the hype. The, you know, it's just I I you know it talks about like people being interested in it and how they're like especially in the beginning it wasn't very many people. I bet you I was one of the only people that like followed that whole thing from the beginning to the end. And I actually I sent Victor Vescovo a request on LinkedIn that he never accepted. So one day, uh, one day, I want to connect with him. So I know that you'll never listen to this, but Victor Vescovo. I want to meet you. It'd be an honor. So <laughs> let's make that happen. Cool. So, you know, thinking about this, you know, you mentioned the money and all the business and everything that went into that, but you know, the, the time like that probably took an ash, you know, astronomical amount of time, you know, years of, of preparation and of effort and just getting to some of these places, like climbing the seven summits, like, you know, 
when you go out to Everest, that's a couple months, you know, of, you know, acclimating in base camp and all those different things like that is, and not, that doesn't count even training, you know? So like, I guess my question when I hear about somebody like this is like, you know, it's just like, what, what's the driver? What's driving this guy to, to, to feel like he needs to, to explore all those things. And in no way am I saying it's a bad thing. I'm just, what's the driver there? Well, I mean, he'll be able to answer it the best, but from what I understand, I think that everything that he did prior to the five deeps exploration expedition, I think, I think really was, he was building towards doing something unique, you know, even though he accomplished the Explorers Grand Slam and there's only a few hundred people that have ever done that, he had never, you know, there, there wasn't a first. And from what I understand, he had never really done anything the first time. He had a very unique background, but I think his whole life he wanted to do something the first. And I think that uh, he was doing these other things until he was ready to take on that adventure. Maybe it was that he didn't have the inspiration. Maybe it was technology. I don't know the exact reason why he didn't just immediately hop into that. My guess is probably financial. You know, I mean, to, <clears throat> to climb and to do all of those things for the, to do the Explorers Grand Slam, you know, my guess is if you're doing it on the cheap, I don't actually know, but it probably at least cost you a million dollars, you know, to do all of that. But, you know, that's a lot different than 50, 50 million. Um, but yeah, my, my, my guess is that he's just always been interested, you know, he's always been fascinated by explorers and wanted to become one of himself. And I think that everything he did beforehand was just kind of preparatory to that. And I think really gave him a lot, you know, I, I think that like climbing Everest, I don't, I think that, you know, if you can endure that, you can do a lot of things, but you know, it's not cold at the bottom of the ocean, but being able to handle those type of stressful situations. But I really think that his naval experience and his piloting experience helped him a lot. One thing I didn't mention is that he went down and piloted the sub all by himself uh, for all of those deeps expeditions. So he did it solo each time, well, which he paid for it. He can do whatever he wants, but I think is also pretty, pretty cool. And uh, wow. anyway, that is yeah, pretty cool, cool story. And terrifying. <clears throat> well, and you really get the sense, you know, when he goes down, I mean, especially actually, it's not so much going down, but it's coming up when he was doing the, the trench in Antarctica, one of the things that they had to keep in mind was that, you know, an iceberg could float over him, you know, and uh, as he's coming up, he just didn't want to hit that. And there are, there are issues with the sub. There's a lot of issues with the sub. The book explores a lot more issues than you'll ever see in the, in the TV series. And to some extent I'm like, Ooh, there's some, there's some issues there, but they really work through them all. But yeah, I think that's that's a good summary of that book, but I'd love to hear the other one that you kind of are bringing to the table today. I mean, uh, yeah, but I feel like if if like if I had a car that I had to take into the shop, you know, every every couple weeks, I'd get a new car. So that's scary about the sub, but I guess you can't just return a sub. Um, no, and you know, he had his whole team out there working, and they like rewired the electrical stuff. They'd have like a little leak in the hatch. It's like very not good things. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. He has balls or, well, <laughs> he has, uh, he has some serious bravery. I'll say. Yeah, man, that, that, that takes, dude, that's freaking awesome. Do you know what this is? <laughs> you don't know. I do. I now do. Now you know. Classic. Do you know what you this know, is? You know what that is. That's freaking awesome. That's a that's a great cup. 
Oh, it man. really is. I think about it often. Oh man, that's a oof. That takes me painful. Back. Yeah, not to great places, but but that's yeah, that takes me back. Um, yep. But so you know, so um, you know, Kate is a is a really big fan of books. You know, she loves, but she doesn't. She likes. She really likes audiobooks, but she prefers paper copy. Like it's given her choice, and um, and so, somehow we we make it work. But uh, we'll we'll go to you know Barnes and Nobles or other bookstores, and we'll you know you know me. I, I got to make everything a game. You know, so it's always like you know when we show up, we always like I always say, all right, you need to find you know five books. You need to find a book that you really want to read. A book that you would you would think you know knowing yourself you would think you'd want to read and you don't a book that you would think i'm maybe not as interested but you do want to read and then a book you think i want to read and then you know a book and then we always like pick somebody else you know i don't know just find some books that fit these categories and that sounds like a way fun activity if you don't have kids <laughs> well we it, we have been known to go on dates to Barnes and Noble to get a babysitter so we can go to Barnes and Noble that to look, look at books and stuff. And I freaking love it. I'll, I'll put on a book and I'll just walk around and we'll play the game. And, um, she'll sit down with her stack by the Starbucks of like 15,000 different books and just, you know, read little snippets and just try to try to get a feel for them. But <laughs> I might bring this up because, uh, <clears throat> excuse me there was a book you know I, i'm i'm flipping through an overdrive i'm flipping through the library i'm looking for a specific book and i see this one and it's a book that i wouldn't say that i would have you know it would you know it's a book that i think i would have some interest in but i saw it and i thought this is it. I have to read this book. Like my interest was so disproportionate to what I would have expected of myself. And you know, I, I'm glad I read it. It was, it was a, it was a very interesting read. The book was always look on the bright side of life, a sort of biography by Eric Idle. Uh, Eric Idle is one of the founding members and primary contributors um, to Monty Python um, starred in Monty Python and the Flying Circus. He uh, also starred in, you know, all, all their movies, uh, The Life of Brian, uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, The Meaning of Life. Um, but most importantly... Most, most importantly, though, he is the professor from the Imagination Ride in Epcot. And... It's, I was just, that was the thing when I saw that, I'm like, oh, I have to read this book. Um, which very unfortunately, he does not mention that event. But after reading the book, I found out he's actually had a very action packed career. He's actually done a lot of stuff. And so, you know, it's not a big deal that he didn't mention it. Um, but anyway, as I was just, uh, also, he was in the old uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Audience. The, so he did mention that. Uh, oh, really? Was he in yeah. any of the movies? 
I don't think so. Could he have been Rick Moranis' boss? He may have in... been. I, I don't I don't remember how he fit into there. Which is something I probably should have looked up before I brought it up. But you know, um But yeah, so he was uh and he just did a bunch of stuff and you know, like like any guy who goes through high school, I saw Monty Python and the Holy Grail several times and you know, it, w it actually took me a long time before I realized that, you know, Monty Python, it wasn't just that movie, that it was, it was a group. It was concurrent, um, starting a little bit before, but running concurrently with um, Saturday Night Live. And mm. that, you know, it was, you know, in, in every way, and I didn't really realize this, it was huge. Like, it was... It was every bit as big as Saturday Night Live was, you know, during its time. But it was so centered around, you know, when you think Saturday Night Live, there are so many great actors and actresses who have gone through um, that whole program. But really the only consistent is Lauren Michaels. But uh, Monty Python was really around... Um, six seven individuals who were really the primary contributors they they wrote they performed they directed they did everything and when they were kind of done as a team they just ended it so unlike saturday night live which has continued on and on and on it, it just kind of ended but then they did the movies uh life of brian and which is where um the song always look on the bright side of life came from as uh you know in the ending scene, I don't, I don't know. If, <coughs> excuse me. I don't know if you've seen it, but um, uh, the life of Brian is. Uh, sorry, one second. Sorry about that. But the life of Brian is essentially about uh, a person who was uh, essentially a, a contemporary of Jesus. And people mistake him for the Messiah and he tells everybody he's not the Messiah. And people are like, well, that's what the Messiah would say. Um, and yeah. then at the very end, he and his followers who he doesn't want followers, but he gets crucified. And that's when they sing the song, always look on the bright side of life. And it's just, it's just so, it's just so funny and just kind of reliving, Eric Idle and all of these great comedic events um, in his life. And, and that's one thing that I really like about the book. His book's really funny, you know? Does he uh, read it? He does. And, and oh, you know that'd what? be good. I don't know if I could have read the book if he didn't read it. Because yeah. it, it's, it's so <laughs> personal. You know, it, it's very much, you know, there's a big difference between a biography and an autobiography. You know, an autobiography, I, f I feel like we miss something when an author does an autobiography but writes as if it were a biography. Because I feel like you miss so much of that flavor that you want from an autobiography. A biography, you get all the dirt, you get all the details, you get, you know, stuff Context. that's more verifiable, you know, better research. But an autobiography, you want the flavor of that person. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you really, really get that with Eric Idle. And it's fun. He is, uh, 
comedian through and through. He's crass and he's funny, but it's, it's, it was fun. It was a short read and it was just really interesting to learn a lot about somebody I knew absolutely nothing about. No, I like that. I, I, I didn't really realize how much he'd written. You know, I think it's easy to focus on how much he'd been in. Um, but he's written or been a part of so much. And uh, I need to read that. I need to or listen to that. I, uh, I wish that he would have touched on the figment ride. I just want to know what he thought of when he became the moon. You know, like when he comes around at the very end and he's like that moon guy. <laughs> yeah, Everybody he's that moon. ridden that ride. Oh man! I just feel like that's a whole nother level. That that of is commitment. a whole nother level. But but uh, it's actually interesting. I was actually listening because you know whenever I'm working, I'll have some music on, and sometimes I'll listen to different like Disney ambient music, like you know, uh, like Animal Kingdom ambient music, you know, and it'll like pull things from different things. And I was listening to Epcot ambient music, and that song came on like an instrumental version. <laughs> so uh, anyway. Yeah, the imagination song. Um, <clears throat> well, I love that, and I that that one is definitely one that I need to be listening to. One of the ones that I decided to pull out today was one that I, I recently re-listened to. Uh, it's the first business book I ever read, and while um, while there have been other books, I think especially since this book has been written, that have explored and have been able to articulate these ideas a little bit better. To me, it doesn't get more clear than the first time I, I read these. I think that Was typically how businesses ham? were. Uh, nope. But the, the, the books that are like the, uh, the way the business used to be done is people used to, ex especially entrepreneurship, people used to create a business plan and they go raise money and then they start building product. Uh, so the book that I chose is called Nail It and Scale It by... Uh, Nathan Furr and Paul, Paul Arstrom. I've actually had an opportunity to meet both of these people and to work for Nathan Furr. I was his research assistant in college. And um, and that was after I listened to their, or read their book the first time. And Nail It and Skill It, the whole premise of it is that before you write a business plan, you need to first understand deeply a problem. And then you need to validate that problem with people who are potential buyers. Then at that point, once you've nailed the problem, then it's about building product, constantly iterating and getting feedback. Um, it's the first time I'd really heard of in, a, in terms of a product, you know, and like in terms of entrepreneurship, you know, having a minimum viable product MVP. And then then scaling, once you know the, once you understand the problem, once you understand the solution, then you can really start pouring the gas, whether that's money, time, staff, whatever, that there's a lot of work that you can do and almost take a very scientific approach to business. And I, I like this a lot because so often people just want to start a company and, you know, sometimes you'll just take an experience from your own life. Well, you are an N of one and that is a P value that will always be significant or, you know, statistically insignificant. So really you need tons and tons of data points in order to understand a problem. So, you know, to find a problem, then understand a problem and then be able to find a solution that actually matches that problem. And then it'd be constantly iterating. You know, it's a lot of work to do that, but their whole point is that you won't waste five years of your life if you do it this way. And you will guarantee or at least have a higher probability of accomplishing a successful company 
they obviously give a lot of examples from Zappos and Dropbox and, you know, as you kind of go around. Um, but, you know, and I can, you know, from, from a raising money perspective, that's the other thing that they talk about too, is when you actually come to an investor saying that I've had this type of traction, we have this type of product market fit. These are what people are saying. Um, you know, the whole point is that you don't need to be risking everything in order to start a business. This helps you de-risk a whole lot. And especially you're de-risking your capital and your time. Those are the main things and other people's capital and other people's time. <clears throat> and, uh, and if you can do that, that's, that's pretty powerful. And so I bring this up, not because this is the best business book I've ever read, but it's short. And it's certainly one of those that like, while some of the methodologies have kind of been updated, um, and even these, these you know, Nathan Furr specifically has gone on to write even more books in this genre. The reason why I wanted to bring it up was because I think it's really important and I and I downloaded it, you know, a night when I couldn't fall asleep and I and it actually kept me up because then I started thinking it so much more than <laughs> taking notes for our business and everything. Um, but I, I just found it to be really good. Just one of the things that I wrote down was the customer feedback loop. I think that, you know, Zappos did this really, really well because they put customer, they put the customer first in their organization. So listening, you know, and, and I know that there's always like this counterpart to this where, you know, Henry Ford asks, you know, if, if I was to ask my customer what they wanted, they say a faster horse instead of a car. I get that to some extent there needs to be, you know, some sort of forward thinking innovation, but you can still build a minimum viable product to help the customer to start under, to understand what you're doing. Zappos being a shoe company, right? Everybody understands shoes and their, their business model is not hard to explain in terms of what they give, but putting the customer first helps you to constantly get feedback on their loyalty, on what they're thinking. And, uh, and I just think that that's a lot of what, you know, people, people didn't do that. Now maybe it's a lot more, um, common sense, but back in 2011, 12, when I read it, People weren't doing that as much. Um, and I think that only in the past 10 years have people really started to uh, to do this. And now it's kind of a given. So anyway, if you want to read a, a really good book that you know certainly has meant a lot to me, I'd, I'd for sure pick it up. Um, the audiobook reader, just FYI, uh, was Mark Chamberlain. I think he does a good job. Really, I don't always like listening to a lot of business books because I think a lot of times they're too specific and their advice is too narrow. And again, just like with, with statistical significance, if I'm taking advice, right, I'm still only getting that single data point or that single interpretation of multiple data points. So it's important to listen to like a lot of different books and not to take any one of them as, you know, as absolute truth. But I do, one thing I do like about Nail It and Scale It is that its advice has endured really well. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I think that track record will speak for itself when you listen to it. So anyway, bottom line is, and it's short too, so you don't have to spend a whole lot of time uh, trying to extract the principles that are valuable. No, I, w I love that. I, I've actually never read Nail and Scale It. You know, I've read a lot of business books, but for whatever reason, I've just, I've never read that one. And I, you know, I've, I've had it recommended to me so many times, you know, because for the same thing you're saying, because those principles are fundamental and enduring and pervasive you know i feel like i feel like a business book is a very finicky genre because my i you know i feel like kind of like what you said some are way too specific 
Um, a lot of them I've read are people who were very talented in business and they just say, this is what I did and this is what you should do, which right. doesn't make very much sense at all, you know, because that's not a business principle because you're totally, you know, they're, they're saying I did this action and we had this result, but you're totally excluding, you know, what were the market conditions? What were the outside conditions? What, what were all the millions of things that go into a decision that you aren't describing, which, which makes when you say like, oh, I did this in a similar situation. It's like, yeah, that's helpful to a degree, but unless I'm facing the exact same situation with very similar variables, it's really not that helpful. And right. if there was a formula, then there would be a lot right. more millionaires, you know, there'd right. be a lot more problems solved in the world, but, but there's not, but there is some good <laughs> principles that will help you at least validate, right. You know, a problem and you know, match that with a solution, which is what I think is, you know, like kind of where I think you were going, what I what right. I liked about this book. Right. And, you know, when something has general principles that you can really sink your teeth into and then it, the burden's on you to apply, I think that's that can be really helpful. Also, when it's super specific, when it's attacking a very specific problem, you know, like I've read books on manufacturing and stuff like that and or industry specific books. Um, you know, I think those can be really helpful, you know, because they are so specialized, it gives you that different perspective, but it's, it's nice to hear that it's short because honestly, if, if a biz, you know, I like my fantasy books with a certain amount of heft, you know, I like, I like long books, you know, I, I really, you know, if, if a book is less than 15 hours, that's a knock for me. You know, that's like, do I really want to waste my time on a story where I'm just buying micro books? You know, I, I don't want to buy seven, you know, I, I don't want to buy four seven hour books. I want to buy one 28 hour book, you know, and that's, right. it's not just the economics. It's the flow of the story because authors do a bunch of stuff to start and end books. And I feel like it disrupts the flow um, and it, it keeps harder to keep storyline straight. But with a business book, if it's a second over seven hours, it's probably too long. It's probably really too long. Like even, you know, cause a lot of business books, like, you know, I think unless they're a story, right. You know, it, like there's this one that I'm really excited to listen to. In fact, I'm going to tell you what it is. And it's 17 hours or almost 18 hours, but it's called the founders and it's about the PayPal mafia. And I, and I haven't really started it yet, but I'm really excited too. Like if it's that kind of story, I'll, I, it's good. Cause you know, it's, it's like, it's like listening to a, the fall of Enron. It's like, Oh, that's very interesting. Um, or right. you know, biography about a business Titan. But yeah, I agree with you. If it's like supposed to be some sort of analytical book that's supposed to teach you some business principles that will help ensure whatever success that you're facing or managerial blah, 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 this and that, you know, I just feel like so much has been said already. And now it's just more of a flavor for you to consume. It's like, well, it's just th this way that the message is presented is most helpful to me. I, I usually tend to stay away. You know, like there's been a lot of times I haven't listened to a lot of self-help books kind of for the reason that you're mentioning about these business books is that, you know, oh, that's great. This is this person's experience. This is what works for this person. Well, that might be horrible advice for me. You know, I think that the productivity genre hurts a lot of people in a lot of ways because... Um, 
they say, well, wake up at, you know, do exactly what I do and you'll achieve similar success. Well, you may have a different body type. You may have different circadian rhythms. You may have different, you know, like different needs, different life situations. So what you need to do is listen, understand, and then uh, be a harsh, you know, uh, how, do, how do I say it? Like a, be very judgmental with or to be very discriminatory with what is applicable to you and what is not. You know, if you're, you may be just too lazy to accept their thing right now. So it's not about waking up at five. It's about waking up at seven. You know, that, that's for you. That's what it needs. It's not about doing a hundred pushups, it's about doing two or, you know, like that's an example. And so that's sometimes why with these business books, it's like nobody knows where you're at and you, you try and relate these self-help books. It's just, it can be difficult. But so either you don't really listen to them a lot or you listen to a bunch of them so you have a lot of information to draw on and then you start to implement things slowly in your life. I think that there's kind of only one way to do it. But if you like listen to one self-help book and be like, oh yeah, that's totally what I need to do. You know, you listen to the 5 a.m. club, which is a great book, you know, but like if that's all you listen to, that's your only input. Like you're not going to follow that one book and be that successful because if there was something like that, then people would do it. And that's where you just make a, that's where you just make an argument that really the only books that do that are like maybe religious texts, you know, they're like the only thing that tends to endure. They're the only ones that seem to extract out human principles enough that people keep paying attention to it, you know, thousands of years after they were written. But um, maybe that, and then, you know, if there's one book that I think will endure from the business genre is how to win friends and influence people. I just don't, I think that like the way that that book is written that's one that I think will endure, but I think everything else will change. But anyway, didn't well, mean to go on a diatribe about that. I just think, um, no, but I mean, it's I think exactly. that just listening to business books and self-help books in general, you just need to like know yourself before you come into it because like they, they can help motivate you, but motivation isn't what creates lasting change at all. Right. Well, like, you know, the thing is, is that the, the continued existence of the self-help genre and the the business genre if i'm being completely honest the fact that books are still being published should be a giant red flag to anybody who thinks that there is un, that is there is a singular answer out there and that you can take sub, the one of these formulas that somebody's saying and apply it directly to yourself. Because right. if that were the case, those genres would not exist anymore. And it wouldn't be called the self-help genre, but rather the 5 a.m. club. And, right, exactly. And, and I'm not saying at all, and I'm not trying to hate on the 5 a.m. club or anything. I am just saying that, you know, you, you can't take anything any of these books as pure unadulterated truth when when they start giving formulas for you to do when they say you do x you do y you do z you're going to get a because that's there there's too much that goes on in our day-to-day -day life you 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 can't predict that because it may have worked for you but i don't have all the same inputs because we're different people and no matter how similar our situations are our inputs will be different but, you know, like, yeah, and I actually how do... think that, and I think that now people are, I think that there's a few self-help books that have come out recently, though, that I think totally break the mold, you know, because I think, you know, so I, I love what Ryan Holiday does when he teaches about stoicism, 
and I love like Atomic Habits. You know, I think that they just really <clears throat> break the mode mold. They're not as prescriptive, which I think is very important. That's why typically people would be like, Jeff, what are some books that really inspire you and help motivate you? I often talk about biographies um, because, you know, much like anything, right? I'm, I'm not reading that book and somebody's telling me what I'm getting out of it. I'm getting what I need out of it because my subconscious is working as I'm listening to the book. Different things are sticking out to me based on my life situation. And that's why you can read books 20 years later and still get helpful insights in that, in that way. Like that's why I like history books and that's why I like these things. One of the reasons why I love what Ryan Holiday does is he's able to take history lessons and an ancient philosophy with like the modern self-help productivity stuff, like combine it together. But we can get into that another time. But I do think that like people are starting to kind of get onto that and not be as prescriptive because then you get out of date, um, you know, really quick. And that's, that's one reason too, why I think the nail it and scale it, like I'm surprised it hasn't gone out of date in 10 years. Um, yeah. mainly just because most business books, a lot of business books do. Uh, and I think like there will always be an element of the nail it. I think that the ways you scale will change. But the way that you nail things and get those insights, I think, will be valuable for at least a little while. Well, I mean, and even, you know, even not like sometimes, you know, when you get more, again, the more specific you get, sometimes the more layers you have to peel back before you're actually getting to the meat, getting to the basic principles, the things that are more universal and more helpful. Um, and and, and that, I'm not, you know... And I, I think there are really good ways and, and, you know, there are like, I also think like uh, Patrick Lencioni, you know, you mentioned a few authors, I think, you know, in kind of the parable format of teaching business where you kind of give a little story yeah. that exemplifies lessons and then you talk about it later. Like this is an example of how these principles are applied um, with like the ideal team player and uh, five dysfunctions of a team and, and many other books and also uh, the richest man in Babylon is the same format. You know, parable which ironically, like, the five AM club is also written like that, um, right? And, and but, uh, but I think that that is better too. You know, like the first one that I really listened to that was in that genre was "Who Sold My Cheese," um, and I read that. I didn't listen to it, but man, I love. I really liked it. You know, I liked. I like that way of learning. You know, because even though they may be trying to shepherd you towards a destination, you can still be extracting other things along the way. That even if you don't get there, that's okay. Right. Because you got this. <clears throat> right. And, it, and it, they're yeah. usually the, the scenarios are general enough where you're not maybe like, oh, that's my scenario. But you can see how somebody gets into it. Um, I don't know. There, there are a lot of different ways and, and business books and self-help books that that whole genre, it will continue to change. It will continue to adapt. And, and that's that's a good thing. But, you know, that doesn't make the books that have come before irrelevant. But, you know, it does make it more important when we find books like you know you're saying nail and scale that that do stand the test of time because that's something that's something that you know needs to be appreciated and needs to be understood and says something about the book yeah and especially if you don't know that much about business you certainly don't want to read anything before that book was written you know i think that really you know if i was to say to anybody if they were to say hey i don't know anything about business where do i start you go on y combinator's blog and you read everything you can you know, that's what you do. You, you start with Paul Graham, Paul Graham's YouTube videos, and you just start watching those. You know, that's what you do. And I think that's, that's really valuable. 
So. Okay. Man. Thank you. Um, <laughs> we can just Megan keep knows going. that I'm struggling with my voice. Oh, man. Well, um, that is, you know, I think that's a perfect segue. I'm sorry your voice is um, now feeling. Oh, no, it's okay. I really, really love this conversation, but I'm really excited to listen to that biography that you brought up. I really want to listen to that, especially if he reads it. I am very excited about that because, you know, you have such a talented writer who then writes a book about themselves. I I think that's going to be great. Right. I I love Nick Hofferman's books. You know, because he writes them and then he reads them, and it's very much yeah. him. And uh, anyway, well, I, there's some things about Nick Hofferman's books that I don't love, but <laughs> for the most part, I love them. Well, and you get, you get, yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> but there's, it's just fun. It, it's fun when you have a writer who you can read. And you know, again, he's a comic. It's it's a it's a crass book, but it's a it's a fun one. It's it's very enjoyable. And I and I need to read Nail and Scale because I that's that's one that I just haven't read. But I need to do that. Well, it's, uh, I'll cool. just tell you how long it is right here. It's really short. Uh, my guess is, oh, wow. Actually, it's a nine hour long book. I didn't even realize. Oh, man. It seemed to really, I mean, even if you just listen to the first half, though, I think it'd be worth it. Um, but you know what's crazy? And I don't want to spend too much time on this because I know we're already over an hour. But I cannot believe that we've talked, you know, f- between this episode and this and last episode. We've gotten this much time and we haven't mentioned Star Wars. Like, that's insane to me. And, uh, but I think that that's probably going to be a different podcast. I just think it's crazy that we haven't brought it up yet. Yeah, no, we just... Because for, like, literally probably a, two years, that was, like, what we listened to. Um, but we'll get we'll get into that, yeah, we'll, I'm sure, later. We'll I just, I've just found it interesting that we've gone so long. <laughs> no, there have been, been some good ones come out recently, actually that um, maybe we'll talk about. And then there have been some other ones that I would avoid, and I didn't. And then I would probably better. But there have been some good ones. Um, but anyway, uh, Jeff, thanks for thanks for taking the time. Great to talk to you. For our listeners out there, our friends, um, you know, thank you for spending the time with us. Um, and we'll, we'll talk to you next time. Yeah, thank you again. Just to say what Kevin said. We really appreciate you joining in and please send us a message if there's specific things you want us to talk about and uh, or listen to. We want to know what you like and we'll, we'll make sure to talk about it here. So thank you all. We'll talk to you next time. Talk to you next time.